Hello and welcome to the All of It podcast, a place where we look at today's culture through the lens of a biblical worldview. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Antal, and I am so honored that you would join me today as we talk about the problem of pride and the solution found in Christly humility. Thanks for listening. This is All of It. Good morning. Well, I guess it could be evening or afternoon when you're listening, but right now it's morning time for me. So good morning, everyone. It has been a long time since I have produced a new episode of the All of It podcast, and I've got a few things to catch you guys up on. In the winter of 2021, I finished my master's in apologetics through Liberty University. And as soon as I finished that, I rolled right into my doctor of ministry program in theology and apologetics, also from Liberty University. I finished that program April of 2023, and I am looking forward to joining soon a PhD program at Liberty University, also in theology and apologetics just trying to to be a well-rounded minister, speaker, teacher, whatever you would like to call it. But I absolutely love learning. I love learning about the scriptures. I love learning about Jesus. And I really love learning how to defend those truths. Really quick, before we dive into today's message, I want to first apologize for any feedback you might be hearing For whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, I am having some static with my microphone and I am not tech savvy to fix it. So if it does not come out in editing and you're going to hear it in the recording, I apologize greatly. It is not intentional on my part. So you might be asking yourself, okay, Mary, um, so you keep going to school. You've officially become a doctor. What's next? What What are your plans? Well, that's a great question, listener. Um, I have a few ideas, a few plans up my sleeves. Currently, right now, I, I want to get back to my podcast. I absolutely love this thing. I love what podcasts are capable of doing. And I am blown away by the consistency of listeners that I have had over the last three years because I know that when I started my master's program, I really kind of fell off uh, producing new episodes just due to the heavy course load I was taking, not to mention all of my parenting and wifely responsibilities, just what it takes you know, to be a human. So... Um, I want to do the podcast. We know that for sure. The last two years I spent teaching a fantastic group of young men and women women, um, here in the local region where I'm stationed. So if any of you guys are listening, I am just so proud to have played a small role in your lives. And teaching you guys was arguably one of my greatest experiences in my life. Uh, I absolutely love teaching. Teaching is such a joy for me. And that is, that is my end goal. For a while I thought, okay, you're going through all of this school, you're going to seminary, you're going to Bible college, whatever you want to call it. You're getting all these degrees in religion and theology. 
you must want to be a pastor. And I thought for the longest time that that was where I was supposed to land. But then, and this is how God works, but then uh, through the encouragement of several professors, starting in undergrad, going all the way to my doctorate program, just really instilling in me um, this confidence to be a teacher, to be a teacher outside of the traditional church sense. And through their encouragement, I went on and taught for a grand total of three years. I taught junior high to high school um, literature, and that was a wonderful experience. I absolutely love it. Do not get me wrong, and I'm going to miss it tremendously But I was encouraged continuously, especially the last two years of my academic career, to pursue uh, a career in collegiate teaching, to be a professor. And so that has really just become a dream of mine, not so much to be away from the church. Instead, I, I see being a professor in theology and apologetics as an opportunity to teach the future teachers of the world. Right. So I get to um, influence hundreds, if not thousands of future leaders and pastors in the church and in ministry. And they are going to change, change the world. It'll it'll be a ripple effect for sure. And that is something that I am greatly looking forward to in the future. So, yeah, that's the. uh that's the goal, to, to be a professor, um, to, to write some articles, maybe write some books. I know I have uh, my thesis portfolio is available. Um, if you really, 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 really want to read my thesis portfolio, you can shoot me an email at allofitmary at gmail.com, and I will gladly send you a link to where you can read it online. In the meantime, that is that is my plans. Um, yeah, I'm fumbling over my words, but this is where I'm at. Uh, I want to teach. I want to be a professor. And ultimately, I want to share the truth and love of Jesus in a way that is solidified in evidence in our lives, evidence in creation, and evidence in the scripture. So that is my plan. That is my dream. And I am just so glad that you guys are coming along with me on this journey. I will have to say, this is completely off topic. Um, However, the last three years, really since I've done podcasts consistently, I have become a hobby chicken farmer. And that has been such a joy for me. Um, I'm trying so hard not to laugh because I know that If any of my former students are listening to this podcast, they are cracking up, pun intended, because I talk about my chickens weekly, if not daily, in my class. And the funny thing is, is my students know that I love to tell stories. And if they're trying to get out of homework or out of a lesson for that day, they'll they'll come up to me and they'll go, Hey, Dr. Antal, you have any cool chicken stories for us today? Or Dr. Antal, what's your favorite chicken? And then they've lost me because now I'm on a tangent and they've once again tricked me into talking about chickens and not literature. Um, So no, chickens are phenomenal. In fact, did you know in Deuteronomy chapter 22 verses 5 and 6, there's actually a biblical command that Moses gives the Hebrews 
on how they're supposed to treat chickens. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. You know what? Oh, we're going to pause 10 seconds. I am going to pull this up just to show you guys. This is arguably the best. All right. You just, oh, almost there. Hold on, I passed it. Y'all didn't, y'all didn't know you were going to get a chicken Bible lesson today, did you? I didn't know I was going to give one. You know, that is the perk of having an unscripted podcast is you can just jump in and talk about chickens and talk about chickens in the Bible at the same time. So flipping through, I see I had my Bible already placed for what we were going to read out of the New Testament. To go backwards. Here we go. All right. So Deuteronomy chapter 22. We've got a lot of what we would call tiny, unnecessary laws. And this is really like, remember, the Israelites had spent hundreds of years in captivity, completely forgetting their culture, who they are, forgetting God. And so, you know, Moses comes in. It's like, hey, let's get out of here. Like God has so many great things planned and planned for you. Um, And so they, you know, they're out in the wilderness and in essence, they forgot how to live. It's just like learning how to walk, learning how to read, learning how to to do anything. They, They had no idea how to exist outside of slavery because everything that they did, had or wanted to do was enforced by by the Egyptians, by um slave owners. And so they're trying to learn how to be a chosen, holy, set-apart people outside of slavery. And so they really did not know how to handle themselves. I mean, they didn't even know how to treat each other's property. They didn't know how to treat um an elder, so many things they had to relearn. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. It's not 22, five and six. It is, it is six through seven. My bad. Okay. Sorry. The page turned. All right. So here we go. We have all of these, all of these laws, all of these, it's not really laws. I don't even like calling that. It's all of these, Hey, here's how you do this to be like Christ, to be like God. Here we go. 22, six and seven. If you come, if you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go, but the young you may take for yourself that it may go well with you and that you may live long. So you might be like, Mary, that has nothing to do with chickens. Actually, it does. So the birds and the trees, those are your flight birds, like robins and sparrows and eagles and hawks and owls and anything else that lives in a tree. But did you catch the part where he says, or on the ground? That's chickens. Chickens do not lay eggs or nest in the tree because they can't really fly. And so, my friends, There you have it. Chickens are in the Bible. And it's actually a really good command or law, suggestion, whatever you want to call it. Because what Moses is saying here is he's saying, hey, I know if you come across this hen on her nest, you're going to want to take the hen and have a roasted chicken tonight. I understand that. But instead, don't be selfish. Take the eggs. Take the young. You can take that. But leave the mother. uh, Leave the hen because she will lay more eggs. And then the person behind you will will also be fed. So it's this idea, this concept of being selfish. 
Anyways, thank you for coming to my uh, tiny TED talk on chickens in the Bible. And chickens are awesome. If you don't own chickens, you should own chickens. Everyone should have chickens because they are awesome. And farm fresh eggs are the premier eggs. And I never have to buy them. And it's phenomenal. So, okay. Well, just like any old school day, Dr. Antal has gotten off a subject. But that's all right because I'm back and better than ever. And I want to. Goodness gracious, I've lost my place again. I want to share with you guys um, just a little bit of a lesson that has been a lifelong lesson for me to learn, but one that has been really evident in my life right now. So I have been dealing with some pretty crazy health things the last three months we still don't know quite what's going on just some neuro problems um dopamine deficiency some lesions in my brain and you know i don't really know don't really know honestly what it is and it's a scary scary thing to be going through because the vertigo the ataxia um the shooting pains in my head like it it, it is really debilitating in a sense because there are little things that I can't do that I should be able to do. And it, it is really hard to not get really down and depressed about it. And in fact, like if I'm being honest, my depression and anxiety um, is at an all time high. I am experiencing depression, the likes of which I've not seen in seven or eight years. And so it has been just a whole new world of learning how to deal with these emotions and stuff again. And not to mention on top of that, like on top of all these health problems, I was going through a lot of um, persecution against who I am as a person. I don't know why. I don't know what I don't know what sparked it. I don't know what caused it. Um, but for whatever reason, it, it felt like everywhere I turned, I was experiencing persecution, like people deliberately wanting to hurt my feelings people deliberately wanting to hurt my character, people deliberately wanting me um, to be upset. And I don't, I don't like that. I know, I know nobody would like that, but I don't like living like that. And it's really hard for me to comprehend um, how other people can live like that. Like how other people can just be okay with causing hurt and pain on other people. And I, I've been going back to something my therapist said um, my gosh, she probably said this seven years ago, six or seven years ago. She said, you know, Mary, sometimes it's not you. When people are persecuting you, it's not you that they're in intentionally trying to be mean to. Rather, sometimes the way we live our lives, especially as Christians, when we are reflecting Christ, who we are and, and what others see is not us. Hopefully, and I, and I say this, hopefully when people see me, they, they see Christ. I want them to see Christ in me. I don't want them to see Dr. Mary Antall. I want them to see Christ in Dr. Mary Antall. However, sometimes when people are so consumed with living out of the flesh, instead of seeing Christ, when they look at you, they see a mirror. And when they see that mirror, they are met with their own reflection and they don't like it. And that only causes them to act out more because they want you to reach their level. 
And so that's just been something that has just been living rent free in my mind, uh, constantly just chewing on that, just remembering because there are so many times, guys, when I just want to hulk out, right? Like I have two going on three degrees in apologetics. If there is one thing that I have learned over the last three years, it is how to um, destroy an argument and how to defend one's self or one's position. And all I want to do is defend myself. That's all I want to do because I have the proof. I have the evidence. I have the means. I have the ability to defend myself against this wrongful persecution I've been feeling. But at the same time, I don't have to. Last summer, I was going through something similar, and I reached out to my lead pastor, Jeff, and I said, Jeff, I I really don't know what to do. I have this meeting upcoming. I'm really nervous about it. And he looked me square in the face, and he said, I know you want to defend yourself, but don't. I'm like, what? He's like, I know that you want to be justified. I know that you want to be seen, um, your character intact. I know all of these things. Go into that meeting and do not defend yourself because, and and here's why he said that. And I'm so glad he did because if we seek out to defend ourselves, then we don't leave any room for Christ to defend us. And he is a far better defender than you and I could ever aspire to be. Like it does not matter how good I am at defending myself or a position or an argument. Christ is always better than me. And Sometimes we just have to learn the hard way often to let him defend us, even when all we want is for the world to know we are not the person or thing or attitude or action that someone says we are. And so that brings me to um, a really hard concept. This concept is a struggle for many, including myself. And, but at the same time, it is the easiest thing to understand. Andrew Murray was a pastor in South Africa in the 19th century, just a phenomenal guy. And he wrote more than 200 books and sermon and sermons and tracts. And one of the greatest things that he's ever written is a small book called Humility. I don't get commission or anything. Obviously, Andrew Murray is with the Lord now, but y'all go to Amazon and buy his book, Andrew Murray, Humility. I will make sure the information is in the description because I want everyone to read this. Like if I could recommend one book besides the Bible for every single person in the entire universe to read, it would be Andrew Murray's Humility. I love this book. Um, My copy has about a hundred tabs in it, And almost the entire thing is highlighted because it is so, so good. Pastor Murray, he breaks something down for us. And he breaks it down into two categories, really. uh, The things of God and the things of flesh. And I'm just going to really quick describe or give you, rather, his definition of humility and why he views it as the most important attribute that we could have. The life God gives is imparted not once for all, but each moment continuously by the unceasing operation of his mighty power. Humility 
the place of entire dependence on God is from the very of nature things of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. So to Murray, humility is the entire dependence on God. It is choosing to depend on him. And from humility, everything else branches out. Because if we're fully depending on God, then we are going to love him. We are going to serve him. We're going to love others. We will serve others. We will be honest. We will be truthful. Every single good character, trait, or attribute, whatever you want to call it, comes from the ultimate virtue, which is humility. So that would lead us to wonder if humility is the best virtue then what is the worst virtue? I don't even want to call it a virtue. What is the worst trait? Well, Marie says, and so pride or the loss of humility is the root of every sin and evil. Pride, the loss of humility is the root of every sin and evil. To Andrew Murray, and I would echo and agree with what he says, humility Unto God, dependence unto God is where every good virtue or trait comes from. And the opposite of humility is pride, which is the self saying, I don't need to depend on God. I can do things for myself. When we look at the fall of man in Genesis, we see Eve saying, I don't need to listen to God. I can choose what is good for me. That is pride. Because humility, dependence on God would be, I'm going to depend on what you say. And if you said, I can't eat this, then I can't eat this. You see, so humility is the spirit, right? It is living in tune with the spirit and pride is flesh, living out of our own selfish selfish desires. These are two concepts you're going to need to understand as we continue this episode, right? Humility is the spirit. When we are living in humility, we are living in the spirit. Pride is flesh. When we are living out of the world, out of our flesh, we are being prideful. Humility is depending on God for everything. And so for me to to fully depend on God means to let him defend me, not defend myself. And pride is saying, I know what's best. I will do what's best. I will act how I want because I can act how I want. That is acting out of the flesh, out of the world. So in his book, he has a chapter, it's chapter six, the best chapter, I think, and it is called Humility in Daily Life. And I want to read just a little bit before we dive into scripture, because I kid you not, and you can ask my husband if you want, uh, if you you really want to ask him again, reach out to me, allofitmary at gmail.com. I will forward your inquiry to Joey. He will tell you that I have listened to this chapter multiple times in the past week because I am consistently needing this reminder from Pastor Murray on, okay, so if humility is dependence on God, then how do I handle really mean people that I want to, how the youngins would say, clap back at? The ones that I want to respond to, like, how am I to be humble when I'm around a bunch of mean people and all I want to do is be mean back? This is what he says. 
What a solemn thought that our love to God will be measured by our everyday intercourse with men and the love it displays. It is easy to think we humble ourselves before God, but humility towards men will be the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is real, that humility has taken up its home in us and become our very nature. Ouch. What a solemn thought it is, Mr. Murray, that our love to God, guys, is measured not in how we treat God, but in how we treat others. Did you get that? Our love of God will be measured not by how much love and adoration we give him, but it is the love and adoration we give to others. The insignificances of daily life are the tests of eternity because they prove what really is the spirit that possesses us. Again, that's from Pastor Murray. To know the humble man, to know how the humble man behaves, we must follow him in the common course of daily life. And for him, the perfect picture of humility is found in Jesus, which is absolutely true because everything, every part of his life, he, he surrendered unto God, the father. He was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice my life. I'm going to do it. You know, when the spirit of God came down like a dove, when Jesus was getting baptized by John the Baptist, and he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. If Jesus was perfect and sinless, then Shouldn't God already be pleased, right? That's that's what I think. Aren't you already pleased, God? But the reason why God said that is because Jesus was acting out in pure, 100% unaffected humility. And God was so proud that he chose, that Jesus chose to depend on him. And that is why he is proclaiming his joy, his proudness, his adoration unto his son, because Jesus did not have to do the things he did. He did not have to do them, but he humbly chose to do them. He humbly chose to fully depend on God in every instance of his life. And that is why God was so proud of him. And when we look at how Jesus handled persecution and people and meanie heads, he handled it with so much grace and humility that we have to follow that example. Because humility before God is nothing if not proved in humility before men. Even the mean ones, guys. Listen. Even the mean ones. True humility comes when we have seen ourselves to be nothing and let God be all. Right, Because the the humble man, he lives a life of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And it is through those humble actions that our love of God is seen. And it's seen in a stronger manner than any other circumstance. So we have to be humble. Here's Paul's take on it. And Paul has a lot to say on humility and how we're supposed to treat other people. But I'm just going to read a few verses from Galatians chapter 5. This is what Paul says to the church in Galatia. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Uh, These things are so hard. I know. Verse 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, earlier I said, we're going to look at the Spirit as humility, and we are going to look at the flesh as pride. I am going to reread this scripture, inserting humility for spirit and pride for flesh. But I say, walk by humility, and you will not gratify the desires of pride. For the desires of pride are against humility, and the desires of humility are against pride. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Ouch. But yay. Oh, it's hard, guys. Just like working out at the gym, you know, to to gain a bigger muscle. Okay, I obviously do not work out at the gym. But if you are at the gym lifting weights, trying to make your biceps bigger, the only way that your muscle gains is if it breaks first. And it hurts, that soreness that you feel after the gym or running or walking up the stairs if you're some people in your 30s. Um, the pain that you feel is your muscle breaking down so that it can, can get stronger. That's how it is, guys. When we are humble and we are fully giving ourselves over to God, when we are learning these hard lessons, it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. But you're breaking down and you're growing in your humility. And that is one thing that I have just been trying to saturate myself in the last week. Lastly, in Galatians 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I'm going to put humility in there again. If we live by humility, let us also keep in step with humility. Mm. Whew. I don't know about y'all, but I am. I'm feeling better, honestly. I'm feeling less angry, which is great. That is always a good thing. Um, I, I really quick, I want to touch on one story in the New Testament that I think paints this picture of humility and pride so beautifully for us. And this is actually going to start, the story is going to start with Jesus and the disciples in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus gets arrested. So we're going to go all the way back to Luke chapter 22, verse 47 to verse 51, 47 to 51. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. 
But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. In John 18.10, we see that Simon Peter is named as the disciple who cuts off the ear of the high priest. I bring this up because it's important to see what Peter's doing here. Okay, so Jesus has just been or is being arrested. He is being persecuted against. Bad things are happening to Jesus unjustfully. And Peter is ticked about it. Peter's so mad. And and literally, like, the disciples ask, should we bring our swords out? Like, do we need to fight? And before Jesus can say no, Peter responds out of that anger, that human frustration. He responds out of flesh, and he cuts an ear off. Jesus heals the ear, which is awesome. How bad would you feel, honestly? Like, wait a minute, side note. You're arresting Jesus, and then he heals you? I would feel so bad. Anyways, back to the story. So humility, depending on God, trusting on God to defend you, to uphold you, to handle your persecution, to sustain you, Peter failed miserably at. Instead, he reacted and responded out of flesh. Poorly, very poorly. However, let me tell you what happens about 45 days later. All right, so Jesus is been killed. He has been buried. He's raised from the dead. He has met with the disciples. He's ascended into heaven now. And now the disciples, now apostles are going out and spreading the word of Jesus Christ and his fulfillment of the law. And something eerily similar happens to Peter. But instead of him watching Jesus get arrested, he is the one getting arrested. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, Peter and the other disciples, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed in the number of the men came to about 5,000. We're going to pause right there. So when Peter and company were persecuted and chose to not defend themselves, I believe it made their witness, the words that they had just said, all the truer and more men and women believed because they saw Peter and company living out the words that they were preaching. How cool is that? Verse five. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, oh my gosh, with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? This is my favorite, guys. Acts 4, verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Then he starts preaching. And then Peter filled with the Spirit. So in that first instance, 45 days prior to this event, arguably, give or take a day, Peter responds to persecution with pride, with flesh, saying, I know what's best, and what's best is for me to physically defend you right now. And then 45 days later, He's met with persecution and instead of 
responding out of pride, out of I know how to get myself out of this mess. I know how to make this situation right. He's filled with the spirit. And thousands of people say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And later on, if you continue to read that chapter, they let him and the other apostles out because they had no grounds to hold him. But it wasn't because Peter was Peter. It was because Peter was acting out of humility. It was because Peter saw the people who hated him the most. Peter saw the people who have been persecuting him and his friends and his savior. And instead of wanting what's worst for them, he wanted what's best for them. And what was best for them was to hear the life saving story of Jesus's defeat of sin in the grave. It wasn't to fight them. It wasn't to scream at them. It wasn't to say the things that old Peter would have wanted to say. The best defense for Peter was not anything that he could do. He had to show humility unto the people who hated him the most to show his love of Christ, his love of God. And in the end, his humility is what defended him. It wasn't his pride. It wasn't his sword. It wasn't his anger. It wasn't his frustration. It was, hum- is, it was his humility. Sorry about that. So my first episode back. It's been a crazy three months. It's been a really crazy year, honestly. All the things that have happened in the last calendar year as they're flashing through my mind is just chaos, like enough drama to sustain a lifetime almost. But there's one thing I've learned through it all and that when we choose to defend ourselves, we might find some sort of instant gratification, but it's not going to last. When we choose to be disrespectful, when we choose to be angry, when we choose to, to, to point out other people's sins and errors, it doesn't do anything for us. And it sure as heck does not make people want to befriend you. So if you listen to anything, listen to this. The next time someone persecutes you, the next time someone intently does something wrong to you or says something wrong about you, don't cut off their ear. One thing I like to say is keep the sword in its sheath. Keep your sword away. You don't need to respond out of flesh, even though you want to. Trust me, I know you want to. I want to. I still want to. But I know that it's not going to get me anywhere. So, all right, friends, that's about it for today's episode. It's been a long one, a little rusty, but I've had so much fun. Again, if you have any questions or comments or any of that, you can email me at allofitmary at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. This is All of It.